ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Hey, gentlemen. Thank you very much for uh, coming to ATV Talk. Uh, I got Jim Babbitt, Bambi, Tracy Dixon, and Mike Coe. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, guys. Hey, Travis. How you doing? Kind of, uh, kind of good to, to, to talk to you guys. I've been kind of uh, uh, texting with Mike Coe a little bit. Um, uh, Tracy and I are Facebook friends, but we really haven't commented much to each other over the years, you know. But um, I don't post much on. I really don't post much on Facebook. I do more to check out what everybody else is doing. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I have throw a comment that. in there or two, but that's about it. Yeah, I have seen that. I have seen that. It's funny that uh, we're now older, and uh, you know, when you you think of how fast we used to go and things like that, I I think of the three of us. Uh, I I probably started the first year of ATV racing at uh, South Bay Speedway, which they called it then, and it became Speedway 117. And then uh, I did it for a while, and then I just got out of it. And then all of a sudden, I noticed you guys were in and started to have some success. And I'm like, well, I got to get back in. <laughs> and uh, And when I did, it took me a whole year to get as fast as the faster guys. <laughs> And it was uh, pretty challenging. And um, then once I got faster, then, uh, then my next problem set in. I was too old to compete with you guys because I had to go to work on Monday and you guys were fearless. You know, so that's kind of what happened to me. So never got all the chances, but I got to race a lot of neat places like, you know, Daytona and a lot of the nationals they had down there. It was fun. But when did you get into it, uh, Tracy? I got into it in the late seventies, I guess, actually riding. Mm -hmm. That's when we started building chassis. So once we started building chassis, it was pretty much game on. Mm -hmm. Those were really nice chassis. And of course the welds were amazing as they always were with uh, Dixon frames. So did you do some of those weldings? I did it all. Really? <laughs> yeah. I figured your dad did. He was so I, good. <laughs> no, 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 no. I I could weld ten chassis in a day. In a ten hour right? day, I could do one an hour, and that I'm the one that did all the welding. Yeah. Who made all the money? You or your dad? <laughs> well, yeah, that'd be neither probably. And you look at the end of the day, oh, really? but um, yeah, I mean, oh, we had fun. You just you found something else to do with it, and it would typically had something to do going to the desert building something else, mm -hmm. trying to invent something else. Yeah. So. Uh, that, that's fun. Uh, I, I wanted, met Mike. Oh, go ahead. I was, was going to say, I always wanted a Dixon frame, but uh, couldn't afford one. <laughs> 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 we, were, we weren't that expensive when it came down to it. Yeah, well, they oh. were slick. I mean, I think everybody desired a 3D frame. They, they were definitely the one to have. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it was fun for a long time. Um, you know, then it was, then you kind of got bored. And the next thing you know, we're, we're building a monoshock. You know, we mm -hmm. built the first, well, we put the Springer front end on it. And then, okay, that wasn't good enough. Now let's suspend the darn thing. And we did that. And then, and then Honda yeah. started knocking on the door, wanting to know, hey, wait, whoa. You know, we'd go to these races, these 
um, and and you get you get all the Honda guys running around with cameras. And literally, so my dad and I just figured we'd just start covering that thing up between races, put a blanket over it, you know, and watch them walk by and just get all flustered as to what we were doing. It's, it's it wasn't that big a deal, was it? You know, it was just thinking outside the box, and it wasn't new technology. People have been doing it for years on motorcycles. We just adapted it to the three wheeler, but so it was fun. I mean, it was a lot of fun back then. It sure was in the early days, and then it got more complicated more work related more more intense you know and you know later on i got to where i owned a kawasaki dealership and so it just didn't look right if i was riding a honda so i had to first make kawasaki's so we made the suspended frames and all this kind of stuff for klts if you can imagine and figured out how to hop them up but uh yeah it was a we were doing some of the similar things that you were doing Obviously not with the quality, you guys. You were always welding some nice stuff, friend. I could say that. And then uh, the Mike, Mike's brother Sam, uh, he worked with me at uh, Johnson's ATV uh, when we were there. And um, I worked with Sam for quite a while. He was he was great, very innovative. Came up with lots of nice motor designs and all kinds of stuff. Him and I cranked them out all day long. So. Yeah, Sam was uh, the same thing. He was an excellent fabricator. He He's the one that kind of designed that Bandito frame for Johnson's. Mm-hmm. And, you know, dimensionally, it was it was really good, probably very close or a copy mm-hmm. of Dixon frame. It just didn't look nearly as cool, you know. Right. It was it, it was cheaper and quicker and right, it, wasn't, right. it wasn't TIG welded or anything like that, you know. Right. But, but um, yeah, it, it was also uh, kind of fabricated off of a frame that that I had. I had a modified uh, oh Nichols frame. Nichols, Nichols, right? Yeah, Nicholson. That's what it was. Yeah. And I had a modified one of those, and they they tried to take a Bandito and make it similar in dimensions, but look different. So they changed some of the plates and stuff on it. But you, you know, guys. I know what you're talking about because I was there. I was young, but mm-hmm. half the people that are listening to this don't even know what machine we're talking about. <laughs> That's true. That is absolutely true. I mean, I think they've seen pictures of them, but very little, but maybe we should move ourselves into the next era of the no, suspended. Well, why lights. don't we, why don't we explain what that building block was? Because you got to put all the pieces together for them and let them know that it's, you know, the evolution came from the 90s. Yep. Well, Well, it was interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the the early nineties, they didn't have the one tens yet. That was the modern era for me, but uh, the early nineties that we had, we, we bored and stroked them and made lots of power, but, uh, I was in the first race they had at South Bay and I had plenty of power to get ahead of the other ones, but I crashed in the first turn and my three-wheeler flew up into the air and it was going to land right on the end of the handlebar. But I got my thumb in between the handlebar and the ground and I broke my thumb on, on that particular night. That was the very first race, but uh, it, they handled poorly. And the next week as I, 
as I was uh, dealing with my taped up thumb, I, I realized, okay, we need some like golf cart tires to steer better and not have the bouncing. So I, I went out and bought some golf cart tires between week one and week two. And uh, what else did I do? Oh, I put a twist throttle on because I could no longer use a thumb throttle with a broken right thumb. Um, and so I went out the next week and I lapped everybody except second place, but it was the tires. I think that did more than anything. And, uh, that's when Ace Williams came up to me and he says, my God, he goes, what makes your bike go so fast? Do those tires really work? He said to me, I go, look at me. I'm, I'm just human. I, I'm not so great that I can pass you guys twice. I, I go, it has everything to do with how it handles. The next week he had a set of tires on and I had um, my first competition really, you know, out there. So that's kind of how it went. And week after week, we, we made more horsepower and we made them handle better. People made better frames week after week. Yeah. Uh, I don't know on year number two, uh, as we started, I came out there with a front brake and Ace Williams walked over to me and he, he says, Hey, I, I got something I got to show you. I'm like, okay. We went over to his bike and he had a front brake. And so neither of us had consulted. I, I went with a drum. He went with a disc and uh, we both had front brakes. And a couple of weeks late, you know, a couple of weeks later, it was a lot of fun though. Well, you should, you, we should talk about how hard those things were actually to ride and how hard they were on your body. Oh, they beat the <laughs> snot out of you. <laughs> that is a fact. I think I'm two inches shorter than I would have been now <laughs> after all the poundings of my back took, you know, as sitting upright on, on an unsuspended three-wheeler. Tracy, Mike, is, you, is, not it, Tracy, is that where you and your dad started contemplating changing the suspension uh, early on because of the rough ride and, and just trying to make it better and better. Well, yeah, that on top of, I wanted an advantage on everybody else. <laughs> right. Well, that's what we do. We go home yeah. and work on them for a week and then we come back and we go, aha, let's see what they do, do with now. And sometimes guys would have the same stuff. They had the same idea, you know, yeah. that's I mean, kind of how it was. It's, it's amazing how fast um, that, that all the technology that what we started with and where we ended up with, how fast it turned the corner and just ramped up. It, mm -hmm. it seemed like in, in just in a couple of months at a time, things were changing and oh, yeah. bikes were getting faster. I mean, you and Sam were just, you guys had your stuff going on. We had our stuff going on, you know, Ace had his, his stuff going on. It, it was just crazy there for a while. And not to mention Smitty, he was building some really fast stuff and he actually got into it before any of us, you know, Smitty was a huge force in the early days of, of, uh, three wheeling. I think he didn't race. I don't think, but he, he built some fast, uh, items, you know? Well, yeah, he, he definitely did. He, I mean, he had a parts outlet that a lot of people didn't have. And at the time, mm -hmm. You know, that was a, a 24th Street crowd where, where Dean and, and Tommy Gann and, and and I ended up going out there and wax. And we all we all rode out there on the mm -hmm. weekends or in the afternoons. And and that's where this whole competition started. It's all right. Let's go up there and let's go do it and race it for real. And then it got crazy. 
you know, then everybody was doing it, mm-hmm. which was fine because that's what promoted the sport. Then Honda got really, you know, they really took notice of it and decided, all right, hey, you know, we could make some, we could make this big, you know, we can promote our whole line oh. of, of products if we put these guys under contract and send them around the country and turn them loose and let people come watch. And then at the same time, stick them out there to talk to everybody at dealerships and pump up the product and do all. I mean, it was, it was a juggernaut that really just took off. Oh, absolutely. Did the, did the Honda guys talk to any of you guys before the 250R or was it just, uh, was it right at the end of the 185S start of the 250R day? Actually, I, the, there was the first season that they had. And then after the first season, there was a national and this national they had, if I think was November 4th, 1977. And at that national, everybody showed up with newer tricker stuff. Most of us built all new bikes for this national hoping to win it. And Honda was there and they were taking pictures of everything. And they were interviewed. They interviewed me not as a rider, but they interviewed me like, well, if we made a suspended three-wheeler, do you think it would sell? And do you think we should have a front brake on a three-wheeler? They asked those kind of questions to me. And, uh, and of course, you know, we're just there as kids. We're all, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, I had no idea they were planning on making a 252 stroke, you know, or, or much less the 185S, which came out next. You know, uh, after the, after that particular race, so I I, th- I think the one eighty that that particular first year had a lot to do with the development of the one eighty five S. I had no idea there was a two fifty in the works too. So, yeah, it was a very interesting time. Mike, did you do much work with the one eighty fives two hundreds? I did not. Um, you know, I. I got into the three wheelers because Sam was really more on building the machines and uh, looking for more power all the time, kind of like your dad. And I was still tinkering with motorcycles at the time. I never had anything really new enough or, you know, all my stuff was always four or five years old, but I'd still take it down to South Bay and race around on it. But when, when Sam, he knew he had something really good. He, he basically recruited me to uh, race it at South Bay on Wednesday night. And uh, I think it was a 138 class. It was a pretty, pretty big class. And uh, of course, I'd been riding him quite a bit prior to going down there with him. I mean, three-wheelers were very popular at the Sand Dunes. And like Tracy said, 24th Street, uh, Santee, Sand Pits before they built the, all those uh, Home Depot and all that stuff down there. There was a number of uh, prime riding areas and just from riding around, we built these giant berm tracks that were just so fun. You'd just be sliding through them back and forth. Like I think they call them snake tracks and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I went down and had a good time racing at South Bay. And from that point on, then I was a rider and Sam was a mechanic. And it's like Jimmy alluded to, there was races everywhere, like every weekend, you know, there was races at, Corona and South Bay and Saddleback, you know, Barona. Even before Barona, we were racing. I mean, Barona came kind of later, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it, was, it really was just 
a lot of fun. There was really no pressure to win so much and until much later. You know, I think everybody just enjoyed the camaraderie and, you know, we'd see each other out at the dunes too. I mean, it, the the th- whole three-wheeler sport was was very friendly and helping each other out and, you know, helping somebody with something that's broke. You might have an extra part. It was just all, again, about the camaraderie. It was really a lot of fun. I think it truly that, was. I think the family aspect of the ATV industry grew there with the roots of you guys being there for one another. Because when you go to a national now or you go to a big race now, you have the same kind of family grouping where everybody's there helping everybody because they know that it's, uh, you know, there's not an overwhelming amount of support out there. And the industry has not been helped so much by the last influx of factory backing. So there's a lot of people now that are trying to have to figure it out for the love of the sport with just a wing and a prayer and hoping to God their parts stay together. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, it was a, that's, racing as a, that's racing as a whole it, it, in any level of racing. It's, it's at least in any level I've been in, there's always the group that's on. Um, let's just say the haves and have nots people who have money and the people who don't, the people that, you know, are busting their fanny just to get to a racetrack, but are still going. I mean, it's, it hasn't changed. It's in every level of race thing. And the cool thing about it is, is that even in NASCAR, we, even before I left, the years of of support we've given to um, the smaller teams and organizations, because at the end of the day, it, to keep people coming and keep people watching, you need to have, you know, X amount of people and X amount of cars on a racetrack. And if you can't just have the top guys out there running around chasing themselves all day long because everybody get bored. But you throw enough support to everybody else and keep the thing, you know, keep 35, 40 cars on a racetrack. And, and now you've got people in the stands rooting for everybody. It's not just, you know, they do have their top guys. And then they're rooting for the little guys to come up there and, and have a great day and, and win one every once in a while. And it does happen. But it, I don't think much has changed over the years. And it doesn't really change in the amount of money or, or level or, or genre you're running in. You're going to have the people who who have the ability to be out, you know, with all the money and the people who are struggling to get to each race. One thing I noticed um, as I went through it, I was kind of an innovator and kind of a motor builder. So I could make really fast bikes and well-prepared bikes that never broke down. But, and I was a pretty good rider, but there was a bunch of natural riders that came along. I mean, Dean Sundahl, Mike, you were one of those natural riders. Uh, Marty Hart later on came into his own. And there were some guys that, as we got into the, the factory equipment days, the really fast, the, the Takati 250s and the ATC 250Rs, there were some guys there that, and Mike, you were one of them, that became darn near unbeatable, you know, uh, through those years. I, I thought that was a really interesting thing that I saw once, once all of the money was put into it, you know, it, it was, uh, very interesting. I thought. Well, those were a lot of good times too. I mean, they, those were really good times, but it wasn't it, like Tracy said, it definitely evolved. Um, mm-hmm. once Honda got involved and, you know, started picking up professional riders like myself, uh, you know, Dean and wax, 
uh, Tommy Gahan. Um, of course, Tracy was right there at the beginning too. They, they kind of entered it in the longer score desert races to, you know, get their feet wet. And then of course, on the side, they were bringing them down to South Bay. And like you said, you know, putting the golf tires of the stuff we'd been running on our four strokers and, mm-hmm. you know, starting to do short course racing too. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely, as far as the competition thing, they really wanted to cover as much ground as they could. So with the additional riders, they could send, you know, a couple people to Houston, a couple people up to Washington to get as much exposure as they could. And I think they did a, a good job with that, sending us all around the country to hit all kinds of different races. You know, it was still just extremely popular. Yeah. I, yeah. I'd see like Marty is off at one race and I'd see you at another and cycle news would come out and, you know, Mike Coe wins this race. Marty Hart wins that race. Dean Sundahl wins this other race. And I was like, wow, what a footprint. They are everywhere, you know? And Kawasaki never took that approach. I didn't think. And unfortunately, I was a Kawasaki dealer and I had to kind of ride green to promote my brand to my customers, you know? And so it's kind of where I, I wound up and what I wound up doing, you know, ultimately. Yeah, where's the, like I said, there was a, a number of guys that were ahead of me. Um, in fact, uh, I had a, quite a bit of um, interaction with Tracy before Honda when they built that Husqvarna. Um, that thing was way ahead of its time. Um, and then even prior to that, uh, the 1981 Baja 1000, Tracy stepped up and uh, convinced Dean Kirsten to give me a shot. And we did real well on that uh, that ghost bike that they put together for Three Wheeling Magazine, and we finished well. And then in behind the scenes, Tracy and his dad were building that that Husqvarna, and we we raced that at the San Felipe 250. And I think we were winning at some point. Um, ultimately, had uh, some small problems and uh, didn't finish as well as we could have. But uh, I can remember that was my first. Uh, well, actually, it was the second, but Wes McCoy was at that race, and uh, he he came directly up to me because a lot of times the pits were, you know, people would a lot of different teams would pit in the same areas for you know logistics reasons or whatnot. And Wes, I think we were doing real well, Tracy, and uh, you were on the machine. And I think I was waiting to get on, and he told me if we won on the Husqvarna that I would have no shot at riding for Honda ever. Really. <laughs> That's oh yeah. Not nice. <laughs> well, the thing was, was a couple of weeks prior to the San Felipe 250, Wax or somebody got hurt. And uh they called me up in the middle of the night. I I because I wasn't with the Honda team. I was with any team. In fact, I was uh on course to to join the Air Force and I was living on Sam's couch. I'd gotten rid of most of my stuff and was sleeping on his couch. And somebody called me in the middle of the night and I thought they were just pranking me, saying, Hey, we we need you to see if you want to go to Houston and race, uh, in, in, you know, in place of wax or, or somebody It was on a two fifty. ultimately it became true. And uh, I took Sam's bike. Of course, that's when I was racing, they came and picked it up and they flew me to Houston and, uh, Wes told me right there on the starting line, Dean has to win. Oh. So you do whatever you can, you, you, but Dean has to win. I, I still whole shot the race. Jimmy white was there. Uh, I whole shot the thing, but I immediately let Dean get by me and I just shouted him. And there really wasn't any conversation after that. 
um, until I think it was a week or two later, and we were at the San Felipe 250 with the Husqvarna, and uh, we were doing really well. That I don't know. You did you ever see the Husky, Jim? I did. I saw it in the magazines, and I think I saw it up close. Maybe it was Saddleback one time. I'm not yeah. sure where I saw it. I uh, but I saw it. It was pretty nice. Did you ever see it? Uh, did you ever see it, Leonard? Uh, what What did I ever see? The Saddleback. No, Tracy's Husqvarna that him and his dad built. Not up close and personal. Well, yeah, the, bike, the funny thing was, is the bike that we rode that time in San Felipe, that was version yeah. one. Version yeah. two was the one that was, that's why Wes was so upset is because Wes was really pissed at, at us because we were challenging them. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute here. We are Honda. You don't build something. And they knew, Wes knew us. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've known Wes for a long time. And he knew we always did things that were, un, you know, out of the box and unconventional and chased them down. And they didn't like it. So I'm not surprised Wes was putting that kind of pressure on you. Well, at the time, like I said, there was no commitment from Honda. So I was still a privateer. And, you know, I, I felt... Um, uh, some loyalty to you from the, you know, the three wheeler magazine thing. So that's why when you asked me to, to ride the San Felipe on the, on the Husky and, you know, it was clearly heads and shoulders above the Honda at the time. I mean, that thing, Jim, if, if you ever seen the thing in person or would have had to ride it, man, you would just, even after riding it first gen ATC 250R, you would think, oh man, this is like, you know, years ahead, like anything that Dixon ever built. Well, that's and, uh, the thing. It was Bob Dixon and, 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 and Tracy and everybody with it. And his stuff was always the nicest. There was a lot of innovation on it and yeah. uh, craftsmanship, incredible craftsmanship. Where can we well, find I, it now? I think you know, someone in San Diego has one. I, yeah, I think somebody's got the, the original one. I think somebody has. And then my dad, I, he sold the other two. We actually had built three, one Brett Driscoll road. I rode one and then we built one that had an automatic in it and that's what they wanted. So those three dispersed somewhere. And I can tell by looking at them if they're ours or not. Um, they had a hollow tube axle, chromoly axle in the back that was all swedged and the hubs were not bolt on. Um, they were actually locked, he locked on it, it. That thing was so far ahead of what anybody else had. It was just insane. <laughs> but I, and I never knew what he did with them. I, you know, I went off and doing something. I think I was working in any car stuff and I came back and they were gone. So who knows? But I do That's know they're out there somewhere. I, I think I there's, was building. A, there's a guy ahead. named Mike, Mike Dunn here in San Diego. I think somehow he ended up with one. I've seen some pictures of it and okay. I'm almost certain it's one of the, it might be the first one. I'm not sure which uh, generation it is, but um, yeah, they, they sure were incredible. And again, I've raced the, the first gen 250R Sam's and even when Honda picked me up. So, you know, it was, I had direct experience to say how awesome that Husqvarna was. Hmm. Yeah, that was just an unfortunate thing. That was, uh, we want, we were looking to go into production with those things and literally, um, weeks, just a couple of weeks before the deal was going to be done, there was an internal power play in, in, um, Husqvarna and 
the the VP was all over it. He wanted it because sales in in the United States were down, and this was something that was exciting. and And they weren't looking to take the take Honda off the mantle. They were just no. looking to take a piece, just a small piece, not a big piece, because they at that time they only produced like fourteen thousand bikes that came to the United States as a whole. So they weren't going to produce hundreds of thousands of bikes. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.